covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us as we are ready to talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball for the next hour or so. First off, let's get a few of the housekeeping items taken care of, as we always do at the top of the program. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, and if you're not subscribed, it'd be great if you subscribe to the podcast and it just automatically gets delivered to you whenever we do have a new podcast that comes out. Also, if you can leave a ranking review of the podcast, that would be fantastic as well. If you ever need to get in contact with me, easiest and best and most accessible way is via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also drop me an email if you would like, matt.pauley at WTMJ.com. Here's what's coming up on the program this week. We have two featured guests in our social media conversation. We are going to speak with Kyle Loebner. Uh, you can read and see him all over the place. He does the Frosty Mug every day. Uh, he contributes to the Timber Rattlers website. He's a contributor to the Shepherd Express as well. So Kyle will join us coming up in just a few minutes. And uh, we kind of have a Timber Rattlers feel to this edition of the podcast as Chris Marion, the broadcaster of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, he's going to join us and we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the Timber Rattlers and uh, focus in a number of their players who uh, you might be interested in. So that's all coming up on the podcast here today. Um, Brewers, look, they're not playing great baseball right now. Uh, They're not winning a lot of games. The losing streak started right before the All-Star break, as uh, we talked about a lot during the course of the podcast last week. They come out of the break, and uh, they're facing a Dodgers team that's not only, in my opinion, the best team in the National League, a team that was uh, buoyed by Manny Machado. They do win one game. They're able to defeat Clayton Kershaw, but they still end up losing two of three to uh, the Dodgers. And with that, they've lost eight of their last nine and nine of their last 11. So they're not winning a lot of baseball games right now. I talk to a lot of people on my postgame show on WTMJ Radio. And when you lose as much as the Brewers have lost lately, there's going to be a strong reaction. I didn't say overreaction. I don't know if it is an overreaction or not. We'll probably we'll learn by the end of the month at the at the latest early into next month whether it's an overreaction tonight. I lean towards overreaction, but we gotta let this thing play out a little bit to really find out if it's an overreaction or not. But I talk to people on an every night basis. And they're really this world that we live in, I mean what I'm about to say is almost true about anything, and I think it's very much a a social media-driven sort of deal. You're either really far to one side or you're really far to the other. Either you think that the season's over, Craig Council needs to be fired, uh, they should be selling at the deadline, there's no chance they even make it into the postseason, how have they won this many games already, this is crazy, Uh, this is just a bad team, you either fall into that group Or you fall into the group of, it was a bad week and a half, two weeks, it's baseball, it's a 162-game season, every team goes through a period where they're not playing great, they're going to come out of it, they're going to be fine, this team's still going to be a playoff team. Those seem to be the two kind of groups that we're talking about right now uh, in terms of a Brewers fan base. And maybe those are just the vocal folks. 
you know, I I hear from people who call into a radio show, who text into a radio show, and who are active on social media. That's that's the contact that I have with Brewers fans. And sometimes those people don't represent the larger group. But quite honestly, we promote this podcast on Twitter. I think most of the people who listen to the podcast have Twitter. Find it through that. So you are very likely inside of one of those camps listening to this podcast. Maybe not. I'm certainly not trying to take a shot at you if you are. But I think my point is the truth is somewhere in the middle. It is alarming the way they've been playing recently. And it is imperative that they get back rolling once again and start doing some of the things that they were doing when they were winning games. Season's not over, and I think they're going to come out of it. I do think this is more of a slump than anything else. But all that being said, there's it doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't... It isn't something that you just gloss over and just make this big assumption that they're going to be fine. There are issues on this team. And some of the issues that we were kind of worried about uh, when the season got started uh, have have kind of come out recently. We've seen with so many injuries and the offense struggling, Craig Council is forced to put together a lineup where sometimes guys are not put in their best spot defensively. We saw Ryan Braun on Sunday make a mistake that was not ruled as an error but led to a number of runs, and then he committed his first error of the season later on, again, playing at first base. We saw Jesus Aguilar over at third. I really appreciate the fact that Aguilar is willing to play third. Uh, He's not bad at third. I don't think he's especially good there. He doesn't have a ton of range. He doesn't look bad over there. But you you start playing Jesus Aguilar at third too often, at some point he's going to get exposed. I think kind of the way it happened with Ryan Braun on Sunday. Eric Thames is on the disabled list right now, and I think in large part because of the fact that he's been forced to play the outfield, and that probably leads to the injury that put him on the disabled list. So there are some issues with this team. They're still having a hard time scoring runs. They're still having a hard time getting production from the bottom third of the order. Defensively, in the middle infield, specifically at shortstop, they miss Orlando Arcia. I think we'll probably see him back up with the club sooner than later because he has been swinging it pretty well. But they got to make sure that he is ready to come back when they when they do bring him back. You don't want to do this thing where you're shuttling him back and forth. So there are issues with this team right now, and uh, they they don't. There's not a lot of margin for error. They've already fallen out of first place. They're battling for the wild card spots. To me right now, the way it sits, the way teams are constructed at this very moment, and this doesn't speak to how I'll view teams two weeks from now after the trade deadline, but right now I think the Dodgers are clearly the best team in the National League. I think the Cubs are the second best team in the National League. And then I think there's a gaggle of teams that are kind of contending for that number three spot. And the Brewers are amongst uh, among that group, uh, whether you include the Braves, the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, uh, the Giants, teams like those. I, I don't think there's a lot of separation between any of those teams that I just mentioned. Any separation that exists in the hierarchy of the National League, I think, exists somewhat between the Dodgers and the Cubs, and then maybe the Cubs and that next group of teams where it's just seemingly everybody else in the National League that has any chance at making it into the postseason this year. 
we're we're in a tough run in terms of the Brewers' ability to get some rest. And we talked about it prior to the All-Star break, and obviously they got four days for the All-Star break. But they don't have another off day until Monday, August 6th. So the month of July is tough. They they got the four days for the All-Star break, and that's great, and it's kind of reset some things. But then coming out of the All-Star break, they had the three games against the Dodgers, and they have three at home against Washington. Then they go on the road for an eight-game road trip where they'll play four games against the Giants and four games against the Dodgers again before they finally get into August and start getting some off days. And they'll get some uh, five off days in August. They'll get four off days in the month of September. And I think once the, the way this team is built, I feel like those off days are really, really important. Uh, these starting pitchers are not going deep into games. Uh, the, they use the bullpen a lot when you don't have any off days. Sometimes you have to be just as concerned about what's happening. Maybe not just as concerned, but you have to certainly be concerned about what's going to come up the next day and the day after that. When you start to get some off days built in there, it really helps. This is a July that I think they have to survive. So That's why I'm not really I'm concerned I don't like the fact that they've lost so many games, but this month is really, really tough. This is the month where they've got the, the toughest road to hoe, and they, if they can survive it, and I don't know what survive really means at this point because their record in the month is not good, but if they can survive the month of July, I think we'll start to see a lot more of who this team really is in August. But that's tough. It's really I, That's so much easier said than done. It's tough to sit back and watch the team lose games, and I'm certainly not making excuses. It's a fact. This is a tough part of the schedule. Playing those 21 games in 20 days, that was tough. Playing the Dodgers, that is tough. Going on a West Coast road trip, that is tough. Every team has to deal with it. It's, it's not something that's unique to the Brewers, but that doesn't mean that it's not something that's tough that they're going through and the schedule will lighten up just a bit as they do get into the month of August. So I say all that to say this. It's it's not great right now, and you got to ride it out a little bit, and we'll see what they look like against a Washington team. I don't know when you're listening to the podcast right now. We, uh, as always, record it on Sunday night. They are playing the Washington Nationals on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. they got to pick up some wins. That's a ser- the Washington's not very good this year, and everybody expects them to turn it on at some point. You hope that this is not the series where they turn it on, and I think a lot of people would feel a lot better about this team if they can go win that series, if they can take two out of three. My goodness, if they could sweep the Nationals, if they could have a really good series against Washington, I think a lot of people would calm down. Uh, you would have been. It would have been the same thing if they would have won on Sunday against the Dodgers. You would have felt so much better about this team because they come out of the All Star break and they take two out of three. That didn't happen. It was an ugly day on Sunday for the Brewers, and they can't have uh, many more of those ugly days moving forward. All right, so Kyle Loebner is going to join us coming up in uh, just a few minutes. We are also going to be joined by Chris Marion later on in the podcast. But right now, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. The All-Star Game, it was interesting on many levels. Uh, First off, in-game, you had a couple individuals who uh, were especially good. Uh, Reliever Jeremy Jeffress 
through a scoreless inning, which uh, he said was one of the biggest moments of his life. Uh, Christian Yelich hits a home run. The other All-Stars for the Brewers, you had Lorenzo King go 0 for 3. Jesus Aguilar was uh, 0 for 2, although he almost won it with uh, a ball that could have gone just a little bit further. Would have been a walk-off home run, but he ends up going 0 for 2. And then there was the situation with Josh Hader. And we're not going to spend a ton of time on this podcast talking about Josh Hader because, quite honestly, that's been talked about nonstop on every media outlet you can possibly find. And we try to bring you something a little bit unique and really try to be hardcore baseball here on this podcast. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the hater stuff. But I'll say this. First off, he struggled in the All-Star game. And as he was pitching in the All-Star game, or really just before he uh, came out, as he was warming up in the All-Star game, uh, there were some tweets that were unveiled. Now, this, to me, this was clearly some sort of deliberate attack on Josh Hader. And I'm curious, I think most people would probably be curious who did this, why they did it, what was the motivation for it. Uh, But there were some really just offensive tweets that were sent out by Josh Hader when he was 17 years old. Uh, Most of them were lyrics to songs or lines from movies but the, the words inside of those tweets were still very offensive. And whether you are quoting a movie or not, you, when you tweet something out, that's connected to your name. And Josh Hader tweeted out some stuff that he shouldn't be tweeting out and people shouldn't be saying. And it came at the exact wrong moment. Uh, He found out about it as he came out of the game, and he looked at his phone, and it had blown up. Major League Baseball uh, responded. They're putting him uh, into some sensitivity training. Uh, Billy Bean came into uh, Milwaukee. Now, this is a different Billy Bean. There's been a lot of confusion on this. Uh, This is not the general manager of the Oakland A's. Uh, This is Billy Bean, who has been... Um, an ambassador for inclusion with Major League Baseball. I believe he has a uh, vice president title now. And uh, he came in and he spent a couple hours with Josh Hader. Hader uh, addressed his team and uh, from everything we were told, got very, very emotional. You want to talk about emotional, uh, he then went to address the media. And as he was addressing the media, every single player on the team walked into the media room and stood by him and around him to show support. Uh, That was on the first day back. That was on Friday. On Saturday, he got in to the game and pitched for the first time and got a a nice ovation coming in. He's saying all the right things. Uh, You appreciate, I think, what he's saying. Uh, I've got a lot more thoughts on this. I really don't think this is the the forum for it. Uh, But I I guess all things... I I hope... I don't think Josh Hader really believes those things. From what I've uh, seen from him, I think being part of baseball has been really, really good for him because of the diversity that exists in baseball. And I I don't know where he grew up or how he grew up, but there might not have been as much diversity. So I think his experience in baseball has helped with that, where all of a sudden he can look back on those things that he tweeted and quite honestly be horrified by it. And whether you think he's sorry for doing it or whether you think he's sorry for being caught, we will never know the answer to that. 
But what we do know is there is a possibility for him to impact other people's lives. Uh, there's been talk about him going to the Arizona Fall League and addressing young players. Uh, maybe he can you know, work with other young players about uh, not just the impact of putting stuff out on social media that you shouldn't put out, but also about being open-minded and realizing uh, just his lessons that maybe he's learned through being part of baseball teams, being able to share that with other people. I don't know if I'm making any sense right now. I've already talked about this longer than I wanted to talk about it, uh, but it's a, it's a really, really, really unfortunate situation where he tweeted out some things when he was 17 years old that were flat-out offensive. There's no way to really defend what he did. I guess the only shades of gray in this and the only um, argument you can have, and I'm not going to have that argument, is you know at, at what level, how bad was this, I guess, on a scale of 1 to 10? It was pretty bad. Does it matter that these were maybe movie scene quotes or musical lyrics as opposed to him like actually meaning these things. Maybe he was just tweeting out something that he thought was funny or was interesting or whatever. Yeah, there's there's so many ways to go with this. And again, we don't have time. I've gone on too long. I'm just going to move on. Uh, Jesus Aguilar held out of Sunday series finale. He had some tightness in his hamstring, and we'll see what happens moving forward on if he's going to be able to uh, come back coming up on Monday. He should be back sooner than later, if not Monday, soon thereafter. Uh, coming off the disabled list this week, we should see Junior Guerra. Uh, he is set to start on Tuesday against the Nationals at Miller Park, and then Freddie Peralta will return uh, from Class A Wisconsin to start Wednesday's series finale. Now the Brewers had planned to go with a six-man rotation at least for a little while. That changes because of what happened on Sunday. Brent Suter uh, came out of the game after three innings, and he reported tightness in his forearm. That's the same injury that put him on the disabled list a few weeks ago. And Craig Council said after the game that they are going to be uh, much slower with it uh, this time as he comes back. Zach Davies scheduled to uh, throw some live batting practice on Monday. If that goes well, we could see a rehab assignment from him sooner or later. Eric Thames could return from the disabled list with a hamstring injury coming up on on Tuesday. No timeline on Jonathan VR as he's dealing with a right thumb injury and that just seems to be completely up in the air right now. Matt Albers wrapping up his rehab assignment. We should see him return to the club at some point over the course of the week as well. That is this week's uh, extended edition of Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extrins, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. Right now, we're very happy to welcome on to the program here in our social media conversation a, a regular guest to the podcast. He is the longtime author of The Frosty Mug. You can uh, read him on the Timber Rattlers website. You can read him on the Shepherd Express as well. It is uh, Kyle Loebner. Kyle, it is always great to get some time from you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. I want to start with something a little bit fun because you wrote about it recently uh, at the Shepherd Express. We saw on Sunday in a Brewers game that was out of control, uh, the Brewers used two position players to pitch. They had Aaron Perez go two innings, second longest outing for a position player in Brewers history. Only Sal Bando beats that back in the early 70s. And then Eric Kratz was able to finish it off. And uh, we're seeing this around baseball where more and more often, 
teams that realize they're out of games are going ahead and just throwing some position players out there and not taxing the bullpen. Uh, based off what I read from you in the Shepherd Express, uh, you are in favor of kind of that uh, shift in thinking to maybe more often go to a position player in those type of situations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, when you look at uh, Kratz had pitched about a month ago now, um, and he came into that game. It was a game that the Brewers, according to win percentage added, or the yeah, the win percentage added, had about a 0.2% chance of winning. Uh, they would basically win it about once every 500 times. Um, Kratz allowed a couple of runs in that game, and it dropped to 0.1%. Um, so when you're looking at late innings and blowouts, what you're really looking at are extremely low-leverage situations. Um, you're looking at places where if you are continuing to chase a win, you're basically just doing it out of pride. Um, and, and there's some value to that. There's value to teams taking pride in their performance, to teams you know, scrapping out every out. Um, but there's a lot more value in winning the next day. Um, and when you put yourself in a position where you don't burn out your bullpen in a game like that, where you've already used a bunch of relievers, um, where you don't you know, continue to throw a guy out there, you know, we've seen teams in the past in the late innings of a blowout throw their closer out there just because they're out of other guys. Well, if you need your closer each of the next three days, and all of a sudden that outing breeze that he pitched in a meaningless game becomes important, um, you're going to wish you hadn't done that. So I think um, you know, through franchise history, it's relatively rare for the Brewers to use position players to pitch, but it is a thing that Craig Council has shown some willingness to do this season, and I think when you've got a young bullpen whose innings you're trying to limit a little bit, um, this does pay dividends down the road. We saw the Cubs throw two position players uh, in their big blowout loss against the Cardinals a few days ago. It, do you think that that line of thinking, because that's a it's a somewhat analytics-driven thought process where, okay, there's such a small percentage chance of winning this game, why blow out some bullpen arms? Do you feel like it's being more accepted across baseball to use more position players to pitch in situations like those? Yeah, I think we're seeing some of the forward-thinking organizations embrace this a little bit. Um, and, and to be completely honest with you, what spawned the story for me, um, I heard some longtime baseball scouts in the press box with the Timber Rattlers who were firmly against this practice, hmm. um, you know, for the, the reasons of pride and all of that and all the, you know, kind of old-school baseball thought about playing out every inning and, you know, not demoralizing your dugout or whatever. Um, and it, it got me thinking about, you know, what is the value of this? And, and I think the fact that um, there are conversations like that going on around baseball shows that this is a practice that is generating some momentum. Um, and, and we're starting to see some of the more forward-thinking teams look at this as a, a viable strategy and a way to protect their bullpen. When we're using bullpens across baseball more than ever, um, you know, find a way to get these guys a day off or at least to get some of them a day off so that they can come back fresher for innings that matter. All right, so the Brewers right now, they're in a rough stretch. Uh, obviously what happened prior to the uh, All-Star break, and then they lose two out of three to the Dodgers after the All-Star break uh, before their winning game two of that series had gone 11 days without a win, a seven-game losing streak. One extreme is that everything's falling apart. This team's not going to make the postseason. Uh, just you know, don't even worry about that. And then the other extreme is they're fine. It's a bad week, a bad couple weeks. Uh, it's just a slump. It's just a speed bump. Everything's going to uh, get better. 
the truth is somewhere between there. It's not all the way to the right or all the way to the left. It's somewhere in between. Where do you stand right now on kind of the meaning and the significance of this slump that the Brewers are currently in? Well, I do think it's magnified a little bit because of the timing. Um, I, I think the fact that the story hung over this team all the way through the All-Star break you know, you mentioned the, the seven days, 11 days of the losing streak. The Brewers hadn't gone 11 calendar days during a season with a winning game since, I believe, 2004. Um, and so, you know, it gets magnified because of the stretch of time that we're talking about. But if you look at just about any good team um, over time, historically, I suspect you can find a, a place where they have lost, you know, six of eight or something like that, at a bare minimum. I, I don't think that you can shovel dirt on this team based on a couple of bad weeks. But with that said, um, I, I think you know we would have said something similar in 2014 mm -hmm. um, when this team was starting to turn back in the other direction. Um, we may very well have said something similar a year ago uh, when this team did not tread water real well while the Cubs were coming up behind them. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, like you said, the answer is somewhere in the middle. This is almost certainly not the end of the season. Uh, they will still play out the rest of the way. They still have probably better than a 50-50 chance to make the postseason, depending on, you know, which odds generator you like. Um, so, you know, this is a Brewer team that still has an awful lot to play for. But to be honest, last year we did see them come out and say, oh, you know, this team is still in first place when they were scuffling and they had blown a six-and-a-half game lead against the Cubs. Well, that rain in first place lasted a matter of minutes after that. Um, they, they very quickly, you know, it, it looked a little bit like the team was complacent, like they still felt like it's okay, things are fine. Um, and they kind of came to the ballpark in the same doldrums and, and let the Cubs run past them. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think, you know, this is a Brewer team that needs sometime in the next few days or maybe the next week or so a really nice statement win um, that kind of reestablishes the direction that they're going and then to hopefully run off some wins before the, the trade deadline um, to put themselves in a position to really know what they've got coming into August. I hear it all the time, and maybe this is more applicable to last year, uh, hearing from people, but the the common narrative from a uh, from a you know, either a vocal minority or a large percentage of Brewers fans is it, this is the same as it always is, you know, falling apart in the second half of the season. This always happens to the Brewers. My response last year was, don't judge this regime, the David Stearns, Craig Council regime, by what happened in previous regimes. I didn't think that was fair. I think you look at it with a blank slate. Uh, this year, compared to last year, I would make the argument that they didn't lose it in the second half. The Cubs won it because you go look month by month, and right. they continue to win at the exact same percentage last year in the second half that they did all season. But at what point, if if something does go bad, and I don't want to be a sky-is-falling guy, I'm a pretty optimistic guy, I still think this team is a postseason club, but if things do go bad, if the team doesn't make the postseason this year, all of a sudden, those comments about, you know, same old Brewers, this always happens, does that start to become applicable once again? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think you'll hear it for sure. Um, whether it's true or not is a, a different question, but I'm confident you'll hear it. I mean, we're all hearing it now. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, the, the nice thing about this Brewer team um, is that there would be a, a different sense of urgency around this team if there were a bunch of expiring contracts here. You know, if this team looks like 2011, where you were watching the last month of Prince Fielder and wasting that would mean, you know, missing the last opportunity to go to the postseason with him. Um, 
this Brewer team is positioned a little differently. You know, this could be a team that, on paper, is still more or less the same and very good again next year. Um, and so that creates a little bit less urgency. You know, it doesn't create the... Um, take, for example, the Mariners. The Mariners right now are having an improbable playoff run um, with a roster that is very old um, and with a collection of guys that will not be there a lot longer. If the Mariners don't win this year, it's going to get really dark before the sun comes up again. Um, the Brewers have you know, an opportunity to you know, continue to play um, competitive baseball for a very long time. Now, with that said, yeah, if they have another year that looks like last year where they come into the second half with the lead um, and do not sustain it, um, that's going to be a narrative that's going to follow them for a while. Um, and from a PR perspective, at the very least, that's going to be a thing they'll have to fight if they're in a similar position a year from now. Um, what we, We're going to talk with Chris Marion here in just a few minutes. I know you guys do a podcast, so it's it's kind of a very Timber Rattlers-themed edition here of uh, Brewers X Journeys, the podcast. Corbin Burns has made a huge impact on this team. Through his first three appearances, he has a win, he has a save, he has not given up a run, he's pitching in high-leverage situations, he's gotten out of a uh, bases-loaded, nobody-out jam. It's really cool to see what he's doing, and I got to think for uh, people who are connected to the Timber Rattlers the way you are, it's even cooler because this guy's pitching in Appleton just a couple years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think... You know, Corbin Burns was a guy, and it's easy to say this in hindsight. You know, when you have a guy who goes and makes a huge run, you say, oh, yeah, I saw that, you know, two years ago or whatever. And 99% of the time, you probably shouldn't buy into it when people tell you that. Um, but in this case, Corbin Burns was a guy who, um, he came to Appleton right around the time that we started getting uh, regular TrackMan data, which TrackMan tracks things like, you know, hit velocity, uh, spin rate on pitches. And in that first season, um, when you looked at the peripheral numbers around Corbin Burns, uh, they were different from everybody else on that roster um, in, in a big way. The way that Corbin Burns spins the baseball, um, it was truly an elite level um, at this level of baseball. And so, yeah, it was really cool to see him have the success that he had, and it was pretty apparent very quickly um, that the only thing holding him back that year that he was with the Timber Rattlers was the fact that he had already thrown a ton of innings in college that year, and the Brewers really didn't want to burn him out. Um, and he has climbed the ladder. He's had success all the way up. Um, and so, yeah, it's really cool to see um, a guy that I think has surprised some people because Burns slipped all the way down to the fourth round his draft year. Um, certainly, I think, knowing what we know now, um, a lot of teams would take him much sooner. He's a guy that's on track to have a really nice professional career. Uh, we'll talk to Chris about this, but the other side of it is him and, and Freddie Peralta, for that matter. Gosh, that that gives those guys playing for the Timber Rattlers the vision to say, okay, two years from now I could be pitching at Miller Park. Yeah, I think you know this week is a, a really interesting week in terms of some of the influences that the guys with the Timber Rattlers have had. Um, because Freddie Peralta was actually here a couple days ago. He pitched uh, with the Timber Rattlers on Wednesday. Um, and kind of a, a tune-up start to stay sharp during the All-Star break. Um, the very next day, Manny Pena was here um, to DH for a few at-bats on his way back to the big leagues. And when you look at those two stories side-by-side, side, um, Peralta is kind of the, the best-case scenario for the guys who were in Appleton. Um, he was a Midwest League All-Star two years ago. He made his big league debut less than two calendar years after that. Um, and so, yeah, a really cool example of exactly how it can go. 
um, how fast you can climb if you really do everything well. On the flip side, Manny Pena was in the Midwest League in 2007, um, three organizations ago. Um, he had to pay his dues. He had to move around. He moved between organizations. He spent a lot of time at the AAA level. Um, but through all that grind in 2017, he found the pot of gold at the end of his rainbow. Um, and, and so, you know, it was a really cool pair of messages for the guys in the clubhouse to see that, you know, that there are a lot of different paths to the big leagues. Um, it's possible that it's right around the corner if you do everything right, but it's also possible that if you grind in the minors for a really long time, the door will also open for you at some point. And, of course, with two guys um, in the, the clubhouse that are big leaguers now, um, the Timber Rattlers always eat pretty well. I think the, the stories that you hear about minor league food are largely overstated, at least within the Brewers organization. But with two big leaguers in the clubhouse, the guys have eaten really well this year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, kind of the story behind that, generally when Major League Rehab guys come on an assignment, one of the traditions is uh, they take care of the spread, they take care of dinner, and it's generally uh, a little bit better than what you have on a normal day, whether it's steak or whatever it might be. Uh, that's a pretty normal thing. So that's uh, that's what you're alluding to right there. Back to the Brewers. Trade deadline right around the corner. They they miss out on Manny Machado. It sounds like it was uh, they were going to have to give up Corbin Burns to get Machado, and Burns is not somebody that they're willing to give up on, uh, very largely because of what we've already talked about. Uh, the names like Brian Dozier, Escobar, Merrifield, uh, Merrifield uh, as Drupal Cabrera was mentioned in a report that I saw today, uh, those are the names that are being thrown about. How, uh, how imperative is it? that David Stearns does make a move to find an upgraded bat for that middle infield spot? You know, that's a really tough question because I think in the, in the moment right now there are a few too many moving pieces to have a really good answer for it. Um, and, and one of the things that I've been telling people this week, um, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but with the Bruce having about two weeks left till the trade deadline, I actually think they need to wait another week or two to make a decision on that. Um, because there are question marks right now around this organization and around what they actually have. Um, the biggest one is Orlando Garcia, who is hitting right now with Colorado Springs, has had a really nice month back there. Um, if the Brewers believe that Art Garcia is close to being ready to be a, a big league shortstop again, is, you know, has gotten over the, the struggles with his bat and can be a guy they put in the lineup again, then that kind of eliminates some of the need for a middle infielder at this point. Um, because you start to talk about Tyler Saladino and some of the guys who have been playing short, being able to play second most days, you know, trying to find a mix of guys that are effective from the group that you have, um, from guys who have experienced success before. Um, and if second base is the only hole in the lineup on a given day, you can really work around that um, in, a, in a pretty notable way. The bullpen is a similar situation because Matt Albers is probably pretty close to being ready to come back to the big leagues. So when you get Albers back, does that eliminate the need for another late-inning guy to add to the, the group of Jefferson, Hader, and Knable? And if that's the case, then maybe no move is necessary there. And in the meantime, there's six guys in the starting rotation waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, so, you know, realistically, I'd really like to see the Brewers call or see a backup uh, sooner rather than later. I'd like to see them get at least one last opportunity for him to catch on to the big league level. Um, I'd like to see Albers get back to the big league level. And, you know, take another week or ten days to evaluate where they stand at this point before um, one last rush at the trade deadline if it turns out to be necessary. The Arcia thing for me is really interesting because I think Orlando Arcia right now, even when he's not hitting, 
he does give something to the major league team with his glove. He he might be the best shortstop walking the face of the earth right now from a defensive standpoint. But on the other side of it, you know, if this is a if this is a veteran guy that's just a glove, well, he'd be up in the big leagues. They wouldn't have sent him back down to try to get the bat going. But he was a number one prospect in the organization. They spent a lot of years uh, developing him, and they expect him to be kind of a, a franchise-type player. And if they believe that the development is not done yet, then and the development cannot continue at the major league level for whatever reason, they send him back to AAA to continue that development. So you're you're stuck in this spot where, yes, he would make your defense so much better right now, but you also have the future to worry about, and you, you can't be doing this yo-yo thing where you're sending him up and down all the time. you got to develop him to his full potential uh, and then bring him back. How do you kind of evaluate that right now where, yes, he would be helping the team, but his long-term ability, it probably is more important than what's happening right now, and you're saying that all while this team is fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, I think you know this was the challenge with um, reaching the, the window to win sooner than expected, um, and, and this is the hole that the Brewers fell into with Lewis Brinson a year ago. Um, it, it was relatively clear when Brinson came up that there was some ability there, but there was still a little bit of a learning curve left to happen at the big league level. And the Brewers just weren't in a position where they could afford to give him that time. Um, you know, if he hits, you know, we've seen with the Marlins, he has hit about 150 for quite a while now. Um, he may still be learning, and this may be part of the process that turns him into a great big leaguer someday. The Brewers just didn't have the luxury to give him that time. Um, and, and with Arcia, the Brewers are in a similar situation, that it's entirely possible that at the big league level he could eventually have made the adjustment uh, that leads to him turning the corner and being an effective offensive player again. Uh, the Brewers couldn't afford to wait around for it, and, and they had to do what they needed to do to get guys up who could at least hold down the fort at shortstop until they felt like he was ready to give it a shot again. Um, and the, the pressure of being in a playoff race certainly magnifies that. You know, if this Brewer team was 20 games under 500 and Arcia wasn't hitting right now, I don't think we'd be having the, the level of panicked conversations about it that have been had. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there's two sides to it, certainly. Um, this is a guy who can help this team when he's playing well, and even when he's not playing well offensively, this is a guy who has some value. Um, I think the Brewers need to let give him an opportunity. I think the Brewers need to see if his bat can play. And in the worst-case scenario, if it turns out to be August and, and he's not um, competing, then, yeah, go ahead and send him back to AAA again and try again next year. But in the meantime, you know, the, the highest upside case for this Brewer team, at least with the roster as constructed, is with RCA in the big leagues. This team is kind of stuck with all the injuries playing some guys out of position. Ryan Braun had a really rough day at first base on Sunday. To be completely fair, it was his first really bad day at first base. It was his 17th game there uh, this year, and it was his first time he had a bad day. So I don't think we need to make too big of a deal of it because it's one of 162, but it was a bad day. We've seen Jesus Aguilar have to play uh, over at third a little bit. Eric Thames is on the disabled list right now, and it might be because he doesn't have a position because Aguilar's at first. You got Thames running around in the outfield. That could have very easily... Uh, contributed to him being on the disabled list how much of these current struggles do you attribute to just this uh kind of the attrition and the so many players being on the disabled list well i mean yeah some of it 
you know, all of this that we discussed, the, the guys, the fact that the Brewers don't have enough positions for all of their players is a, a good problem to have. Um, it means there's a, a lot of talent out there, but it does create some challenges. Um, and third base, you know, for as good as Travis Shaw has been, and as often as he plays when he's healthy, um, the Brewers have done themselves a bit of a disservice by not really having a credible backup over there. Um, it, it led to him needing to play a lot while he was less than 100% before the All-Star break, which was probably not a good thing in the short or long term for him. Um, and it led to situations like what we saw on Saturday, where Jesus Aguilar was playing third base. And as good as Aguilar has been at first base defensively, um, he's just not physically equipped to be a, a viable third baseman um, very often. And so, yeah, there, there are some challenges here with these guys. And I think, you know, once you see the Brewers get back to a healthy group, um, you know, obviously the lineup will look a little better, but some of these challenges are going to persist. Uh, these are things that we knew were going to be the case coming into the year, at least to a point. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be tough to keep Eric Thames healthy for 162 games or even for the, the schedule remaining if he needs to play in the outfield very often. We saw that last year. Um, there are going to be some challenges around this group if everybody stays healthy and they need to find ways to keep all the bats in the lineup. So we mentioned all the places people can read you. You do the Frosty Mug every day, uh, which is available on Twitter, but now also available on uh, Patreon. You've been doing that for a few months now. People can read you over at the Timber Rattlers website where you do uh, great profiles and feature stories on uh, some of the players. Uh, you have your weekly uh, piece that you contribute over to uh, Shepherd Express. Just take me through all that and where uh, people who want to uh, consume all things Kyle Loebner, what's the best way to go about it? Well, of course, you should start on Twitter at Brew Frosty Mug. I link all my stuff there. Um, the Frosty Mug is available there every weekday morning. But if you really want to help support my work, you can go to patreon.com slash frosty mug. Um, there's a, a setup there where you can sign up to receive the Frosty Mug in your inbox every weekday morning in exchange for a small contribution that helps me keep the electricity running to my computer um, and helps me pay the folks that help me out when I am unavailable for days. Um, additionally, you can find me, as you mentioned, at Shepherd Express, producing the On Deck Circle. I've got a really fun story coming up um, Monday morning. There's a guy named Michael Mountain. He is going to be at the Brewers game tomorrow. Um, he is currently on a 35-day road trip to see all 30 MLB parks. Um, he is all by himself driving across the country, actually, as we speak. Um, I believe he was in Philadelphia today. He's in Milwaukee tomorrow. Um, and so I wanted to talk to him. He's on, like, day four of the road trip about how it's going um, and his thoughts on what would be a tremendously daunting adventure for me, but he seems to be excited about it. Um, additionally, you can find me at TimberRattlers.com, producing the Frosty Microbrews feature. This week I am talking to the first members of the 2018 draft class to reach the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, um, pitchers J.T. Hinson and Clayton Andrews, um, and following every Timber Rattlers home game, including Sundays and Mondays, um, you can find me on the Rattler Radio podcast with Chris Merring, who I understand will be talking to shortly. Yep, he's coming up in uh, just a couple minutes. Uh, Kyle, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for uh, your insight, and I'm sure we'll be uh, talking on the podcast again very, very soon. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm. I'm very, very happy uh, once again to welcome onto the program the voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the Midwest League affiliate 
of the Brewers. That is Chris Marion. Chris, it's always great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing great there, Matt. How are you doing today? Uh, doing all right. Uh, let's jump right in and, and look at this club, which I've thought the Timber Rattlers have been an interesting team all season long with some really uh, notable individuals on the team. And maybe when the season got started, some people thought they might not be great. Uh, in the second half of the season so far, they're they're kind of hanging out in the area of 500. There's a, a Cedar Rapids team that's really good, so it puts them pretty far back uh, in the standings. But have you been... Have you been pleasantly surprised, maybe, by the level of play uh, from the Timber Rattlers overall this season? Uh, um, I think this is kind of where they were going to be uh, right now, where they're at, uh, which is a couple of games, you know, right around 500. The the, the overall record is just kind of uh, it, it's skewed by a couple of 10-game losing streaks where there were those two streaks were just something where everything that could go wrong went went wrong for the team. I mean, they, they held the they couldn't hold late leads. They couldn't uh, come up with a big hit when they needed to, um, and, and they ran into some really hot clubs uh, in those uh, in those losing streaks as well. But right now, I mean, they're they're playing. You know, they're they're playing uh, right now. They're they're in a series with Bowling Green, which is the team with the best record in the. Uh, in the Midwest League, they they held them to a one nothing win. Uh, the, the Rattlers won one nothing on Saturday. Today was a little different with a ten five loss, but uh, you know they they've beaten uh, Dayton and South Bend, a couple of teams that are right around their level. Um, they've done a nice job with that. So I mean, I think you know right around five hundred is, is kind of where um, they can be right now, and, and if things break right. You know they could maybe get a couple of games over. It's just going to be tough to catch a team like uh, Cedar Rapids and, and Beloit is playing extremely well right now too. Uh, one of the benefits the Brewers have with the Timber Rattlers is proximity. So there's always uh, it, it seems like there's always players from the Brewers who have been uh, with the Timber Rattlers recently on a rehab assignment or. Uh, in the case of Freddie Peralta, he's kind of been there after uh, they used his roster spot at the uh, end right before the All-Star break. Uh, Matt Albers pitched fairly recently, uh, just uh, about a week ago or so, uh, f- four or five days ago. Uh, pitched a scoreless inning. He should be uh, with the Sky Sox and be back with the Brewers sooner than later. Uh, you see these guys come through all the time. I always enjoy getting your take on them. Uh, what did you think uh, from what you saw from Albers in that one appearance? Well, Matt uh, Albers just threw like uh, seven seven pitches, five strikes, uh, and was very efficient, very good. He was supposed to pitch on uh, Saturday, but the weather kind of threw that off a little bit, so he wound up pitching live BP at Miller Park on Saturday. So he uh, he missed his last rehab time with us. But I mean, he uh, he was out in the bullpen, ready to go as soon as uh, you know that was that was the day Freddie pitched too. So I mean, Freddie worked uh, the first two innings, and then Matt Albers pitched the the third inning, and then it was. Um, right over to the Timber Rattlers spot. So, I mean, um, you know, talking with Matt Erickson about um, some of this, some of these rehabs and everything like that, and yes, it's helpful to have guys, you know, like last year having Ryan Braun and and uh, Jonathan VR and Chase Anderson come down and, and you know, kind of put that show out, you know, show where guys want to go. But I think it was more important to have Freddie come down, you know, even though it wasn't a rehab assignment, because Freddie was here two years ago, and now he's in the big leagues. And now, you know, Corbin Burns was on that team, and now he's in the big leagues. And I think that guys, if they see that, if they can, you know, reach where, you know, reach their potential or reach where the Brewers think they can go, that trip to Milwaukee is not that far away for them. So 
is it almost more impactful to have a Freddie Peralta come back or to see Corbin Burns go through so quickly the way he has for guys who are current timber rattlers than the situation where you have a Ryan Braun come in? Yeah, I, 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 I think it is. I mean, heck, Ryan Braun is great for the uh, the Timber Rattlers' attendance, and, and and the guys that were here, I mean, he answered all the questions from the guys when, when he was here last year. But, yeah, I think seeing guys like Freddie have success, success, I mean, Carlos Herrera is on this team, and he came over with uh, Peralta in that same deal for Adam Lynn back in 2015. And, uh, you know, Carlos Herrera knows Freddie really well and, and knows how, you know, where, where Freddie is right now. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think having guys having a lot of success at the big league level who were only in Appleton and the Fox Cities two years ago, that's that's a good thing for, for all of the minor leaguers. I look at Freddie's line, and he, he went the two innings, giving up a run on a hit. He had five strikeouts, did have a wild pitch. From what I read, it seemed like for at least a moment, maybe some of those issues that had popped up on him in the big leagues recently popped up on him again, uh, maybe towards the end of his outing. But overall, what did you think of what uh, how he looked? Well, I think I think Freddie pitched a pitched a really good game for the Rattlers. Uh, you know, he, he knew he was only going to throw a couple of innings. He knew he could just go out there and do what he needed to do. I mean, his first batter, he was 3-1 on the guy and then came back and struck him out. And, uh, you know, the, the one hit that he gave up was to Jeter Downs, who was one of the top prospects in the Reds organization. It was a double. And then, you know, the, the wild pitch got the guy to third and then a ground out scored him. But aside from that, I mean, it was, it was Freddie Peralta um, doing what I think everybody has gotten used to him doing at the big league level when he has had success. We've uh, spoken previously about uh, about Peyton Henry, who really was off to a great start to the season. He's from an offensive standpoint, numbers haven't quite been there in July. He's hitting under 200. What what are you seeing from him? I mean, obviously he's a young guy, and we see this in the Midwest League all the time, where there's a little bit of a roller coaster offensively. But what's he fighting through right now? Um, I think uh, it's playing, you know, he, we've played the, the today was the uh, Timber Rattlers 98th game of the season. Um, he has caught now 64 of those. So, I mean, he has caught two-thirds of, basically two-thirds of the Timber Rattlers games this year. Um, he, his, his work behind the plate has been great. Um, he has run into some tough luck. I mean, he has hit some balls very hard, but he's hit them at guys or guys have made really nice plays on him. Yet he's probably uh, you know run into that a little bit. Um, that will come around, I think. Um, the one thing about him is last week on Monday he committed his first error of the season behind home huh. plate, and I mean for for a high school catcher in basically his first full season of pro ball to have his first error in his sixty second, sixty third game, that's amazing. And I, I think uh, the offense is going to come around. Um, you know, once you know, once uh, he, everything comes back together. I mean, he's still working. He's still catching bullpens every day. He's still doing all the stuff that, that the catchers need to do. And then he's got to do on top of that. He's got to do the hitting. So, but he, um, you know, he even when he is not getting hits, he's contributing the wins. I mean, the Rattlers won a one nothing game against Dayton on uh, on Thursday night. And he drove in the winning run with a sacrifice fly you know, on a night where he kind of struggled. But he knew he needed to get the ball in play, and he hit the ball to, to right field, and it was deep enough to score the winning run. And 
sometimes that's all you need. I mean, you you don't need to go five for five every day. Although that's nice for the the prospect watchers and for your stat line. Sometimes all you need to do is just hit a, a fly ball to right that's deep enough. Nice offensive day today for uh, KJ Harrison. We're talking on Sunday night, uh, going three for four. Since the month of July started, he's only caught twice, and he's played a lot more first base recently. What? What's that? Obviously, you've got a guy who's catching who's doing a really good job, and that's probably the biggest part of it. But what is his future? Are, are, are the Brewers still, do they feel that he's a catcher? Or are they focusing more on first base? How would you just evaluate uh, what he's doing from a defensive standpoint? Well, I mean, he made a really nice play at first base today, and, and he made a couple of nice plays at first base. Um, he is still considered a catcher. Uh, I think they just want to let him try to focus on his offense because he was below 200 for a long time, a long time this season. He finally got back above. He was like 7 for 14 in the South Bend series that, that ended last, last, last Monday. Um, and that got him above uh, – got him above 200 he got him very safely above 200 up to about 211 um he is back at 211 today after uh, a little bit of a rough catch uh, on this homestand but i think they they still see him as a catcher um they still want to work in there but uh they they want to get his his confidence up on the offensive side of things too so i mean he's probably going to see a lot of first base for the rest of the season the rattlers do carry three catchers so it won't be Peyton Henry catching six out of seven days every every for the rest of the year. Um, so, I mean, KJ is going to get some time at first base. He'll catch every once in a while and uh, just try to get the offensive numbers up to, to build that confidence. And then I'm sure once instructional league comes back around again, he's going to be back behind the plate and, and working there and working on his hitting, and everything will come right together for him. According to the MLB Pipeline ratings, the uh, top prospect that's on the Timber Rattlers roster is uh, Tristan Lutz. And you look at his numbers, and my goodness, here's a guy, it seems like it's clicking in for him more and more every day in the month of July. He's hitting better than 300. Uh, that's the that's the best average he's had so far month by month. He's already hit four home runs in the month. Uh, that's better than any other month. Is it indeed clicking in for this guy right now? Yeah, definitely it is. He is, uh, I mean, I think people, um, you know, Kyle Logan and I talked about this on our podcast um, last week about how, you know, when he got off to that, what was it, like a 1-for-18 or a 1-for-21 start with a lot of strikeouts back in April. Um, nobody, you know, there were there were prospect watchers that were kind of hitting the panic button, even though it was like four or five games into the season, but... He is uh, really coming around. Um, at one point, in 15 games in July, he had 15 RBI. Um, he's, you know, he's just, I mean, he hits the ball hard. He hit a ball the other day that was, you know, uh, uh, over 100 miles an hour. He's hit, I think he's hit more balls over 100 than anybody else on the team this year. And he's really just, um, I, I wouldn't want to be an infielder trying to feel one of those ground balls. Um, and then he's hit some line drives that are just, just incredibly uh, hard hit out of the ballpark. And he's making contact, too. Plus, he's walking a little bit more. Um, I think uh, he has, what is it, 14 walks this month, and he only had five in June. So, I mean, he's almost tripled his walks uh, in the last month. And uh, the strikeouts... 
um, are still there. I mean, he's got 22 strikeouts this month, um, and he's probably going to pick up a few more before the end of the month. But he's making more contact. Had a rough in the field on, on Sunday with a, a couple of errors, but he's working hard on that because he knows that he needs to work on the on the defensive side as well. He can't just be a hitter. And uh, I think people are going to, if they if they come out to the ballpark for the last month or so of the season, last six weeks of the season, or or see any Timber Ellers games on TV, they're, they're not going to recognize the kid that they saw at the start of the year, and they're going to see more of the kid that the Brewers thought that they would have when they drafted him last year. Jumping over to the pitching side of things, and, and somebody that we've never talked about uh, but is on just an incredible run of success, and that includes four scoreless innings pitched today, uh, is Cody Beckman. Here's a guy who has not given up a run in the month of July after pitching a 1.42 ERA in the month of uh, June. Uh, what, his numbers are just jumping off the page right now. Where kind of where did this guy come from? Talk to me about him a little bit. Well, he's he's an older guy. He's a, a third day draft pick from last year out of North Carolina State. He started this year with Carolina, but he kind of scuffled a little bit at Carolina. And uh, actually, Kyle and I did talk to him, or Kyle talked to him for our podcast uh, today after the game because he went fourth scoreless and kind of kept the game manageable. But uh, he's, he's got a changeup that he'll throw. Um, they've they've kind of set the uh, the lineup a little bit. Um, they'll throw him in there against left-handers. Um, mainly, he won't face a majority of right-handers because his right-left split coming in. I don't know if you look at that, but it, it hasn't been good. But today, he faced nothing but right-handers, and he only gave up two hits. He didn't walk anybody. He struck out three. He spotted everything really well, um, and, and he's just kind of – done the right thing uh you know he's come in in some tough spots and gotten out of it and you know i've I've kind of been impressed with him as as an older you know as an older draft pick last year and an and an older guy in the bullpen but uh you know cody uh he's just kind of you're right you you don't really talk about him until you know it's like wow he's really pitching well and and he has been pitching well you made reference to Carlos Herrera earlier from a prospect standpoint. Uh, he's on the squad. Numbers aren't great. One in six, five point three one ERA uh, has not been especially successful in the month of July. Is this a, here's a kid who's born in 1997? Is this a is this someone who's still kind of uh, catching up to the Midwest League? I guess you could say. Well, I, I think sometimes he, uh, you know, every once in a while he'll he'll put in he'll put an inning to, or you know he'll put two or three really good innings together, and then he'll go out there and I mean his ball moves already, um, and he'll just try to put something extra on it, and it moves a lot, and the hitters don't wind up swinging at it, and it winds up getting a lot of walks and wild pitches, and then he has to take a little something off to get it over, and then that winds up getting hit. So I mean, it's just something where be patient with him and things are going to start coming around and and i mean i've seen him when he's on and when he's on he is just really really good but when he's off it's like it's uh it's it's a tough day for the for the offense for the defense because they've got to be chasing down a lot of balls so um he's starting on he's scheduled to start monday um the game is going to be on spectrum sports if if everybody has spectrum sports and wants to catch it um, and just check him out and see what uh, you know. See what you can see out of him. 
from a starting pitching standpoint, there there's a little bit of a trend, especially with a with a Dylan File, Bowden Francis, a, a little bit with Nelson Hernandez, but probably not as much with him. Seems like uh, had some good, really good moments earlier in the season, but the the numbers are kind of coming back to earth for those guys. Kind of same question: Are these guys going through that full season and, and that season maybe wearing on some of these starters? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think they've been pretty uh, good with the uh, guys' uh, innings this year. Um, just keeping a, keeping track of them. I know Dylan earlier this year, back in May, he had that eight shutout innings with eleven strikeouts against Great Lakes, and then he didn't win again until he threw eight innings against South Bend last uh, last Friday or Saturday or last Saturday. Um, and then he was the uh, losing pitcher today, and he didn't get out of the fourth inning. So um, Dylan just needs, you know, I. At this level, it, it's it's all about consistency and trying to get consistent. And if uh, if you're not consistent with your approach every inning, um, you're just going to wind up getting getting knocked around occasionally. And that and that's something that I mean, Bowden pitched a heck of a game the other night. He went eight scoreless in that one nothing win over uh, against uh, against Bowling Green. I mean, he threw on Saturday night against the uh, best team in the league offensively and shut him down for eight innings and scattered six hits and it was it was something to see when his mechanics are on and it's about having a repeatable delivery and and knowing your stuff and and trying to spot where you can throw pitches because not everybody here is in here throwing 100 miles an hour it's just trying to to work your stuff to where you can be successful for yourself and your team and you know i think the most six the most uh, consistent starter the Rattlers have had has been Christian Togner this year because he's gone out. I think he's got like nine nine quality starts this year. He started out zero and four, and now he's at six and six on the season. I think um, after uh, just pitching really well um, uh, the last few times out, and uh, and Togner is a guy I don't think that gets a lot of recognition because he was a thirty seventh round pick last year. Um, you know, and I don't. You know it, what he's done at this level after a slow start, as far as not getting a lot of run support, is why he's got a lot of those losses. But uh, you know, I think he's 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 going to be really good in this organization. Team's going to wrap up their homestand uh, against Bowling Green with an afternoon game on uh, Monday, as Chris mentioned. That's going to be on television on Spectrum Sports, so check that out. That's going to be a noon first pitch if you uh, want to watch that on TV. They'll hit the road at the end of the week for a three-game set at Peoria, and then they're back for a home series against Kane County right at the end of the month. What can uh, What's coming up from a, a promotional standpoint for folks that uh, want to head to a Timber Rattlers game? Well, we've got a uh, we've got a couple of fireworks shows coming up, and we have a Jimmy Nelson bobblehead from U.S. Cellular that's going to be on August second. Jimmy was a timber rattler back in 2011, um, and uh, we're hoping he gets back to the Big League Club real quick. Uh, you know, we got that coming up, and uh, also coming up, um, you know, maybe later in the month, uh, we've got the uh sam decker appearance for strikeout cancer night it's uh sam decker uh bobblehead and the rattlers will be wearing their wisconsin timber or their wisconsin university of wisconsin style jerseys for that game for a charity auction as well so i mean lots of stuff going on uh as always uh just check timberrattlers.com for all the latest promotions and folks want to take in the broadcast how can they do that uh, we are in TuneIn. We are on iHeartRadio. Uh, tune in. Just go to the Timber Rattlers. Uh, just punch in t- Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. It'll come up. 
iHeartRadio is on uh, w- M- or 1280 WNAM. And we have a lot of games uh, that are on uh, Spectrum Sports uh, uh, tomorrow. Um, and we're also on in Milwaukee on uh, My24 when we're home on Saturday nights and Sunday afternoons. That was something new that we added this year. So, I mean, we've got some games on local TV down in Milwaukee and as well as up on CW14 in Green Bay. Plus, if you're out of the area, um, all of the home games and uh, a lot of the road games are on MILB-TV. Perfect. Chris, uh, encourage folks to follow you on Twitter as well, at Maring. That's M-E-H-R-I-N-G. Uh, you got a day game tomorrow, and you're taking some time out tonight, so I really appreciate that. Always enjoy getting uh, your take on uh, some of the guys, and look forward to talking to you again here fairly soon. All right, that's great. Thanks for the time, Matt. Chris Maring joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and we do appreciate him taking a little bit of time with us. That's just about going to do it for this week's program. Uh, on the schedule this week for the Brewers, they will play three games against the Washington Nationals at home. That will begin on Monday. Monday, Tuesday will be 7-10 starts, and then on Wednesday, 1-10. And then they'll go on the road for eight games out west. First four against San Francisco, and then four against the Dodgers after that. And uh, that will put them into August, and that's when the schedule will lighten up just a bit survive july get to august see where you're at and be able to move forward from there all right again want to say uh thank you to uh my guests both kyle lobner and chris marion again if you want to get in contact with me feel free to tweet at me at matt Pauley on air m-a-t-t-p-a-u-l-e-y on air this has been brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile talk to you next week thanks for listening to brewers extra innings the podcast Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.